Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide. Sorry for the bit of delay. I was busy watching Josh in Expedition Unknown. He was looking for Fen's gold again. Yeah, it was a bit of a repeat, but I had to do a brush up. Uh, you know, just basically looking for that gold bullion, man, where that guy hid it and everything. I got a good idea where it is. The last thing to do is to find the right blaze. You know, that's all you got to do look for. And I almost think... You got to find that right stand, the pine trees or some kind of like spruce something because they were looking along the river off the Rio Grande and it was, you know, low and scrubby. But nah, I'm thinking there's going to be some trees there, man. I kind of have a feeling based on how I read it that there probably should be some pine tree stuff. I need to go and nail down like I got to get his memoir. I think the key to finding Fen's gold is to see what place touched him memoir wise and then to look at. If he comments on any specific blaze or trailheads in his book, I think that's going to be where the key is to finding the exact right one. Because they're right. I mean, even if you narrow it down, you're still looking at like the top of Yellowstone till roughly, you know, the New Mexico area there, Taos, and that that location where they're talking about the uh, the rivers from Yellowstone that come down and then mix with the Rio Grande. So that's where those warm waters end is what they're kind of say, but the warm water is also, you know, I don't know, home of Brown. There's the, there's the Brown uh, Ranger station up on the border of Montana and Wyoming there, you know, so it's just finding the right one. And then if you can nail down that one blaze, right? If you, if you can look at the trailhead, the marker or something that Fenn talks about that says this stood out to me. I think that would be the key location to start moving and walking. So I got to go and grab his memoir. I think I'll go on Amazon, check it out, give the guy some more money as if he needs it. He had a cool house and collection, though, and the dude's pretty slick. I think it is going to be a bit Indiana Jones-ish, you know, because you're going to kind of have to go on a bit of a journey because he is an Indiana Jones fan, right? So if you look at none of Indiana Jones stuff are particularly short. So I don't think this would be a short trip. And the fact he says, you know, he parked his car and made two trips should be able to narrow it down. I think that's a key element there that it was accessible. But again, you got to find that correct trailhead path, whatever the case he's looking at, that everybody's focusing on the water. And the water is a key element to it. The rivers, right? And whether you're going to call the home of brown, brown trout, you know, that makes it vague in a good way, you know, because they were talking Molly Brown for a while, that that unsinkable Molly Brown in her area in the Colorado Rockies. And then there's the brown trout in the brown ranger station, you know, so you have all these different browns that come up and they span the entire distance, you know, from New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming. So it's, it's, it's tough, man. You got to figure that out. And I think that's where... That's where you got to go to the memoir, man. It's not so much just the poem. It's a little bit beyond the poem because you got to find something that resonates emotionally to Fen. Okay, that's where he's going to return to. Whether or not you got to walk a little bit and go do the water trips. I think people are, are, are taking the trips a little bit too far, but at the same time, not looking for a specific emotional connection. It's really, you got you to go... You, you got to go kind of method acting. You got to become Fen, right? And then you got to grow up as Fen. And you got to say what touched him as a young child and to take those experiences and then to, 
you know, relate them to uh, the ground, right? Is this an emotional attachment to this area? Did, what did he do that was special here as a child or younger man growing up and would, rec- would uh, call him back and say, come back, Fen, put your treasure here, you know, but it is a small box, man. It's only 10 by 10 or so. So it's not like it'd be super easy to find. And he said that there were people within about 200 feet of it, you know, so they're within 100 yards. If somebody got within 100 yards of that treasure, that's got to be heartbreaking and sickening. They also said there's like 35,000 people trying to find this damn thing. Although I'm not one of them being the world's most successful Bigfoot hunter. I already got him beat. I already know where it is. I just got to find the right blaze. I know where to find it once I know where that blaze is. The thing is, which one out of thousands that could be between that area? That's the question. Because once you figure out that blaze, then it's going to it's gonna be like a sign, a neon sign right to the treasure. All right, guys, you're listening to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank here from Sniper Side. I uh, just got finished. I was doing some editing on the new machine. As I think I told you guys, my my original Mac Pro, my old one, my 13, kind of uh, hiccuped again. And then I put that um, uh, external eGPU onto it. And then an update kind of broke everything. And I had to do a backup hardware, blah, blah. It, it was uh. So I ended up getting an uh, iMac to replace it, one of the iMac Pros and stuff. I grabbed like a refurb and everything, which is acting a little funky, to be honest with you. I'm not a fan of how this, ref- usually I've gotten refurbs from Apple before, and and this one does, it, I've had to restart it way too often and do some stuff that's, it's feels hardware, but it's acting software. A couple times it wants to restart with like no screen, and then if you unplug everything in the back, the screen will come on. So it's acting a little funky for something new. So I may have gotten a refurbished that wasn't quite as refurbished as it should have been. But I did edit some new video for the first time on it. So I went out uh, at the end of the week. I shot an online training lesson. And uh, the winds, we got cra- I was going to go out again today, but the winds are up again. We had a pretty crazy wind weekend and the wind just zaps out my audio really bad. Like I, I have a lot of tools to knock the wind down so you don't hear it. But at the same time, it is a little harder to kind of get it to work right and to get the audio to sound right. And then if you end up kind of crushing on it and in, in, in attacking it too hard, I mean, let's face it, we're, we're looking at 12, 15 mile an hour winds and there's just not a whole lot of tools that are going to clean it up 100% which is suckful in a, in a lot of ways, but I still was out there and shooting this video. And uh, for, I did a video with Mark's weaponized math, right? So if you go to Sniper's Hide uh, on the main page, snipershide.com, I had posted the article with the formula that Mark had come up with to help us establish someone's dope when we don't have a... Um, a starting point when we don't have any data to begin with. You'll get a guy, especially the hunting rifles and things like that. A student shows up, brand new rifle. You don't know anything about it. New, just put the scope on it. You got any rounds to it? No, I zeroed it up. And, you know, it's got a one box of ammo through it. The turrets aren't reset. There's there's a whole lot of these things going on. And, and it's a good way because I was putting some stuff together. And I'm going to talk about that as we blend it all in. But... So with weaponized math, we know what the 200-yard dope's going to be, right? You're going to put two minutes on your gun, or you're going to put 0.5, and then we'll fine-tune it down to 0.3, 0.4, 0.5, whatever the case may be. That's usually a good place for 200 yards. 
then you're going to go to 300 yards, right? 300's easy too, right? It's a mill. At one mill on most rifles, you're going to be in the ballpark within, with you're going to be within three inches of the target, okay? Of the dead center, you know what I mean? Point of aim, point of impact. So you're going to be within that three inches at 300. Well, once you have that established, now you start dealing with atmospherics, you start dealing with the drop, you start dealing with gravity, all these different things, okay? So we have that weaponized math, the X factor. And we established this in Alaska up at sea level. And over the summer, like max DA that we saw was about 1,500 feet. Well, here in Colorado, I'm at 7,500 feet of uh, density altitude, right? DA. So 7,500 feet DA versus 1,500 feet. So I ran Mark's numbers and I shot everything out with a couple of the new rifles that I had put together. The main one that I took out and I did the video with was the McMillan A-10 with the uh, 6.5 Creed Origin Action, okay? Left-hand gain twist, whole thing. And so I go out, I zeroed it up, uh, did that. I think I used the new Prime. I, uh, yeah, pretty sure I used the new Prime. I have uh, the new Prime came in, so that's what I shot. Um, real good dude was putting them in one hole. Like originally I was like, boom, centered it, boom, centered it. Like, damn, that thing's in one hole. Like at first I'm like, is this acting right? Because the, the, the hole never changed, you know? That was like the only thing on the paper. And I'm like, holy cow, it sunk it in the same hole. So uh, I go do that, and then I go right out. And basically what it is is it's a percentage. How much are your percentage of the drop or then to add? So like for 300 yards, it's 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 you take your 300-yard dope, and in this case we're going to call it 1.0 mils, and we're going to multiply that by 1.75, which gives us 1.75, right? So 1.75, we're going to round it up to 1.8 mil. Well, that's what I shoot 400 with, 1.8. Boom, right on the water line. Like, love it. Well, then you start to go five. Five was a little high. Like, I threw one a little touch high using the same formulas that Mark had. So, um, it goes just a little bit high. No big deal. 600 trends just a little over the line. 700 trending higher still. 800. So, uh, you know, I'm at elevation, right? And we're at, so I ended up manipulating it for the higher elevation and I turn the last two and and again you got to fine-tune your numbers make sure your zeros good and, and all that but I ended up changing the final two numbers in math's formula to 1.20 okay instead of like 1.25 and then 1.24 I just made both of them 1.20 and they're right there they're dead on for that but we're seeing about two tenths of offset little bit more at 900 but two tenths of offset to 800 on the formula as it stands which two tenths that's three quarters of an inch times eight right no big deal piece of cake you're still going to be within the ballpark of most targets at 800 and this brings me to a question that i read on sniper's hide today uh this morning kind of answered a guy's ballistic question we have that really uh really good uh, external, not external, computer terminal, ballistic uh, calculator section. We have all the external, internal, blah, 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 that stuff. But the ballistic computer section of Sniper's Hide, you got like applied ballistic guys are in there posting. You got Kestrel has a whole thing they're posting. You know, you can get uh, the ballistic arc. A bunch of people come in. All the uh, uh, Gus from um, Patagonia will pump, pop in. Uh, uh, yeah, Boatwright, Jim Boatwright comes in and puts a bunch of ballistics. So you can get an entire ballistic education 
in the ballistic calculator section of Sniper's Hide if you want to learn your ballistic calculators better. Have a question, something come up, don't understand, see a glitch, see a problem, Kestrel will come right on and answer you, you know, so it's really good. So this morning I get up, I'm kind of tooling around, no NASCAR today, uh, they're off this weekend, watched the Infinity Race yesterday. Uh, hey, I got a bunch of the NASCAR guys, a bunch of team guys, uh, front row motorsports guys are on, and then the uh, Geico guys, um, God, I don't remember your team's name. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. It's not Levine. Uh, I don't know who uh, Ty Dillon's uh, GMS Racing, I think it is, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But we got those guys are listening. Shout out to the NASCAR guys having your weekend off. So um, been talking to them a bunch. But anyway, so I read this uh, ballistic calculator question that comes up. Guy's out here in Colorado. He's in Leadville area. He wants to get his hunting rifle set up for elk. And so, you know, he's doing, he's trying to do like a 300-yard zero, which, guys, please, please stop that. If you're a hunter in the whole thing, do a 100-yard zero. If you need a further distance, dial it. Learn your rifle, shoot it, dial it. Figure out your holds, even if you have to map a BDC reticle or make adjustments because it's not going to work out the way you think, especially if you're traveling. And why wing it? Here's the thing. Yeah, I get it. Your elk is gigantic. It's as big as the friggin' Subaru in the driveway, right? It's huge, okay? Your kill zone's as big as the tire. You can make a lot of mistakes, but why bother? I'm not having to better and and understand your drops and know what's going on. So this guy couldn't get any software to work and line up, and he tried everything, and nothing was right. So his process was wrong, okay? I mean, when you look at it, he's, like, struggling to try to wing it and then computer it. You can't do both. Again, garbage in equals garbage out. The other thing, what a lot of people are trying to do, and I mentioned this a ton. This is the key, key, key element to ballistic computers. The computer, or take this back. The rifle cannot match your computer. You have to match your computer to the rifle. That means you need a process, okay? You need to go through a specific process so that way there you know the condition of your rifle and what it's doing and then you could take that information and match it to the computer right so you have to take the computer and then have it match what you just read or saw or wrote or doped or whatever you get it so here's the process guys you gotta you're gonna set up your hunting rifle do me a favor go to the range tomorrow give me a good 100-yard zero. Then reset your turret to zero, zero. Okay? I just gave you the info for two and 300 yards, right? If you're, if you're MOA, it's two minutes. That's 200 yards. Then you're going to go to 300. Okay? That'll give you your data to three. It's going to probably add, like, so your two is that three, five to four, five for 300. Okay? Between two minutes and five minutes, somewhere in between there, is your 300-yard dope. Shoot the target, adjust, hit point of aim, point of impact, write that number down, and then go to the next one. But what you can do is like exactly like we're saying then. So you want to get your computer up. Well, think about if you're just going hunting and you're not going to shoot far, but you still want to use a computer, which, okay, I get it. You know, maybe give it a try. Well, then you want what we're doing in the class. You want your 600-yard drop. 
You could shoot the two. You could shoot the three. I recommend getting a 300-yard drop. Okay, here's here's your process. Get yourself a 300-yard drop and know what that number is. Okay, so let's say it's three minutes or it's like one mil, right? That would be four minutes for that, but 0.8. So it might be 0.8. So that's going to be right about your three minutes. So we're going to call it 0.8 for 300 or three minutes. That gives you your 300. Well, then you can use the weaponized math we gave you and you can go to sniper's hide and you can look at that and then you can figure out what your data would be moving forward. You don't need to shoot anymore, but you could do that. And then you can take those numbers and make sure your ballistic computer lines up to it or just shoot 600 yards and match the 600 yards, which is right in the middle of your probably max effective range. And what you're going to do, probably most of you aren't going to shoot past 600 anyway, but get 600 yard drop. Then you can go to the computer and make the computer match exactly what you saw for 600. Measure your sight height, right? Center of the board, center of the scope. Then you're going to go and do all these different things and you're going to put in your atmospherics, put in your data, have all that stuff, you know, real time, real world information. Then say at 600 yards, I need 14 minutes a drop. I need, you know, four mils, whatever the case may be. I don't know what it's going to be, three, five to four or something like that. Then match that up. And how you match that up is simply adjusting a muzzle velocity. You don't even have to chronograph because the computer's going to change it anyway. Okay? You can you can back it in from drop and get it to match up so the computer and the gun now align with each other. Once that's done, that's going to give you good try dope and you're going to be pretty close, especially in the shorter ranges. Okay? But we need to break the cycle of guys winging it. And guys just, you know, I'm zeroed uh, three inches high at 100 yards. I'm zeroed, you know, for 50 yards and it's going to be inch and a half high here. And I'm going to hold over its back at this distance. Trust me, you have the time and opportunity. I mean, unless you're taking a 70-yard shot, which at that point don't matter, right? But you have the time and opportunity, especially if you're two, three, 400 yards away from something. It's not going to move, okay? We had... Antelope showed up on the range the other day, and we are out there shooting. And as we were shooting, a couple of them ran across. Then it was about 600 yards out. Then it just kind of sat there and wandered the whole time. Total broadside, total not moving. It spent easily a half hour just off the right side of the range there, or the firing line, really, like totally within the impact area. We could have just shifted over 15 degrees, and it's boom. It never moved, okay? It didn't think it was being shot at anymore, and, we're, and the whole class is shooting. And, and so you, you can get away with a lot with distance. Distance gives you that time and opportunity. Then you could figure out what is the exact range to it instead of winging it, and then you can either hold or dial. And I recommend if you're using like a BDC-type holdover reticle, map that reticle and understand. If you look on the manufacturer's website, they're probably going to have some kind of schematic for it and tell you what those drops actually mean. Then you can say, well, wait a minute. This is a drop for 5 MOA. I'm using 3.5, so it's going to be off. So that means I have to hold under that mark, you know, or you can dial it down or do, because you use the turret to adjust that BDC reticle 
for conditions as they change. And understand, I mean, this guy's up in Leadville, okay? He's 10,000 feet above sea level. And his DA and the changes and all the things that are going on. So he's got big swings happening. You need to tighten up that information because that's the key, like with Mark's weaponized math. Sea level, we're talking almost four times more DA here in five, six, seven. And and in the video, you could see this. Eight starts to trend high, but not off the plate. You know what I mean? But it was never designed to be dead on. But you can make it dead on if you make an adjustment for your location like I did. Instead of using 1.25, I use 1.20. Boom, I'm right on it. So that's one of the things that, that, you know, try to simplify this. Don't get too deep. Don't try to get creative and outthink yourself. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Either too creative or not enough, right? It's like, I'm doing it how I always have. I'm going to shoot a paper plate and then try to wing it. And then I'm going to throw this number on. And if I'm an inch high here, this should be good enough there. And, you know, it it, it ends up being uh, a bit of a mess. And you really don't know what's going on and how, like, the, the only reason, you know, much you, you get guys that are missing targets and stuff like that. You know, we've had students come in and say, I missed an animal at 120 yards, you know, and then now we get guys emailing us who've taken the class and we just had a student and I think I mentioned this uh, might not have done it on the podcast, but I know I mentioned it in a class. I just got an email last week from a student with Mark and I got his caribou at 721. Okay. From the class because he has data. Cause he knows what's going on because he understands his rifle system now and he can actually hold and dial and do these different things. And he knows 700 yards, the wing target guys right in Alaska. That's the wing target. You get something by that wing target and we have so much fun with it and we're having you hit. This is the key part of that wing target, right? That's in Alaska. We're having you hit that center. Okay. There's a flop open center. That's about six inches in there that you guys are nailing. And we're not letting you move on until we've gotten you a hit or so that is in line with that hardcore center. That dope's going to work for you, man, much better. You know what I mean? Because it's it's smaller than the kill zone of what you guys are after. I mean, we're getting getting ready for hunting seasons, getting ready to start, you know? So um, that's a big, big part of it. But understand your ballistics don't overcomplicate it don't get don't try to get too creative unless you know it's something that you it can work like there's this creative method guys are doing like six ten yard shots to get their sight heights in the computers because they're actually shooting that mechanical offset they're putting it into the ballistic computer until it lines up for that that inside point of aim point of impact with the height over bore And what it's really doing is working a little bit better with the ballistics because there is such a velocity coming out that you don't get that immediate drop. Smaller, lighter bullets, the whole thing. So the mechanical offset method of just measuring your height above bore, right, your sight height, your scope, it's a little lying to you. Not bad, but a little bit. And so these guys are doing like a six-yard check, and finding out what the dope is for six yard based on the computer and then using that to fix sight height in mills, right? So I've seen that. Now that's an example of getting creative, but in a positive way. 
instead of doing something like your grandfather did in 1978 and then trying to apply that to a modern computer or a rifle system. It's like, we got better scopes. We got all this stuff. Use that. And, and man, I just don't get what, I mean, honestly, and I mentioned this before, the, the hunting side of the house is doing nobody any favors by limiting the, the, the movement on turrets, not giving you something that works with the way the modern precision rifle world works. You know, it, instead of it being like it was in Hathcock's days where that hunting rifle w- filled a gap that the military didn't have, well, now the military's well exceeded all of that. Okay, their stuff is 10 times better than most of the hunting platforms. The only thing different is now caliber. Okay, but your scopes are subpar. Your reticles are subpar. You don't understand that you could do this using a value and a number and being consistent across every platform. What you do in an F class, you could do in a PRS and you could do in a hunting situation. Instead, they're trying to give you, well, do it this way for this, do it this way for that and do it this way for that instead of trying to standardize these things. And so speaking of standardized, I, I, I kind of was putting all my barreled actions together. I ripped a bunch of stuff apart. I did a little bit of paint, rattle can stuff. So I had um, I had a barreled action, a 260 that was originally like supposed to be a cactus, which was a, a, a celt thing. There was back in the Texas days, you guys might remember this Hicks, Jeff Hicks, right? Going old ways, old school back. If you're old sniper side guys, so he, he was a custom gun builder, got into a little bit of problem, walked away, had some guys that took his company over, became Cactus. Well, I had like a 260 that was all messed up and didn't, you know, it went through like four different hands in the same place. It was never right. And finally, I was like, dude, just give me the parts back. Ended up sending him the GA Precision. Going back years now, this thing's old. So I, I kind of had that done, and then I went and had it Cerakoted, and it was Cerakoted kind of like a manila folder yellow. It was actually kind of ugly, but it was in an AX chassis, and the chassis was like painted, um, you know, like a desert multicam. And so it, it ended up working in that context. But now all these, all, like everything I have in here, the MDT chassis, the uh, JP chassis that came in, all this stuff that came in is now like sniper gray. Oh, and that's the other one I'm doing is this um, Kadex with the uh, nuke, the strike nuke chassis. So that one to me, this is like perfect timing. So uh, Kadex sends me the strike nuke and they send it to me in this gray, kind of like the sniper wolf gray color. Same again, same thing. I have three chassis here. All of them are gray. Well, so I have this barreled action in 260 that's yellow. And I'm like, God damn, this thing's not going to work. So Cerakoted, luckily, I went, got some gray, medium gray primer. I rattle canned the whole thing, uh, you know, taped it up, changed it out, switched triggers on it, uh, using the Elfman triggers. And I'm really liking them. I, I, I grabbed a new, it just came in the other day, and I'm actually using it. Wheeler's got this uh, electronic trigger pull gauge. I don't know if it's called Professional Digital, Professional Digital Trigger Gauge. So I'm using that on these guys and I'm tuning it up. So I put that Elfman together and I kind of set it where I liked it. Nice little up and down adjustable shoe, you know, good colors. I threw the red shoes on and the red uh, safety piece on and um, I set it up. And so I got it as a consistent, it's like 1.8, 1.8 pound, which I think is a really good spot. To me, it's right on the edge of too light, you know, oh, we got fuzz down there barking. 
So um, it's 1.8 pounds, and I'm hitting it multiple times, 1.8, 1.8, super consistent, really crispy trigger. I don't see any reason I would need to bring it any lower than that, and that's really on the edge of where I'd want to go with a practical-type system. But 1.8 pounds, man, feels pretty good on that Elfman. I'm enjoying it and, and shooting it. So I put that in that um, McMillan with the 6.5 Creed. And I ended up in the video, There's actually I'm actually single loading it because I had screwed up. I needed bottom metal. And I'm like, I got stuff here. And I have rifles that have been taken apart and put in chassis. So I had some Badger bottom metal. And I had put it in and, and it looked good and everything. And then I'm like, eh. I go to shoot it. And it's going over the top of the brown it's not picking the round up i'm like ah god damn what's going on with that so then i look and the back side of it was down a little bit and um so then i kind of went home and i'm like okay yeah there's a little raise here and it's back up a little bit there was like a little i caught a piece of material or something in between the the bottom metal and the uh the pillars that are in the the mcmillan stock so i took that apart but i have a hawkins here um, and I really like his bottom metal, you know, the uh, Andy Hawkins and the Hawkins guys out of Colorado here. So I had their bottom metal that was in another uh, stock that I wasn't using. I took that one out. I did a little bit of sand and a little light, just a minor, minor sand and just to clean up inside the, uh, the uh, uh, bottom metal area. Cleaned it up a little bit and then that Hawkins fit in nice and snug. Checked it all out last night. So I ended up taking that gun apart and putting it back together. But you'll see it in the video. That A10 is super comfortable, man. I'm really digging on uh, for smaller hands and how they put that together in the stock. I think that grip on that stock fits my hand really, really well. And I, and because of that, I had been gravitating so heavy to chassis. You know, I have Manners and stuff, and I have some of his. And Manners doesn't seem to be as big to me as some of the McMillans every now and then. But it seemed like a lot of the stocks, like composite, fiberglass we're building up the palm and the grip area bigger and bigger so and then it goes like well let's just do chassis and do pistol grips and they're smaller they fit my hand better uh you know but then you get a little bit better with the length of pull on this so i'm able to tune the length of pull to where i need it and the spacer system makes it work out really well you can go a little bit shorter you know what i mean because most of these chassis their length of pull is right at that you know, 12, 8, 13, you don't see many going much shorter than that. And, um, you know, that's kind of one of those things, like MDT just came out with a new shorter butt, uh, butt stock because theirs, I think, is closer to almost to 14, like 13 and change, 13 and a half, almost 14 on their standard guys. And so the, um, the you know, a stock will tend to get you a little smaller, and with the carbon fibers and the whole thing. But this McMillan looks really nice. It's the black and red, little gray sprinkled in. Uh, put that uh, that mile-high barreled action, the, the origin on it. And, man, the thing's just hammering. I'm, I'm really digging on it. So I'm going to go out again in a day or so uh, before Minnesota. Minnesota's filled up. That came up nicely, 18 students. I'll see you guys in a couple days up in Minnesota. We'll, we'll have a good time with you. A little shorter class, so it's going to be with that many people. It's going to be a little bit more on the seminar side as well. But we're going to get a full day of live firing in with you guys. I think it'll be fantastic. Um, tread proof is full, so that's going to work out great. I mean, I thank you guys for stepping up and doing that. Um, we filled tread proof up pretty darn fast. Both of these filled up in like less than 30 days, you know, which is fantastic. 
And that just means it helps us for next year, adding more classes, expanding where we're going to do classes and, and try to move around the, the, the pool table a little bit more and, and, you know, get all you guys covered as much as we can because the demand is there. We'll, we'll try to partner up with Mark and bring Mark down. Um, you know, once we see how things go with the logistics, with everything, with um, Treadproof and having Mark come down from Alaska, we'll have a much better idea and be able to brainstorm over the winter and then establish some dates and times and places for you guys to uh, to have classes. If you are interested in classes, man, what, what do I need? I need, a, I need a point man in that location. We need a range that has a classroom or something that we can use as a classroom, you know, because I, I want to do my presentation. Now, if we have to do it in a hotel, not perfect, but we can get away with it. But, and then we need somebody to help coordinate students and to bring people in. And, and the big thing is the ranges because a lot of ranges have rules. Like we had to do some, some uh, stuff with the Minnesota guys because that range has to take care of their members and what's going on first. And then it trickles out to everybody else. So, you know, that becomes the key element. And then we had, uh, I put together a class for um, next uh, summer as well. And like the landowner, it was like a private landowner who does like PRSE type stuff, wanted a metric ton for each individual. And we were able to get them down per person, you know, because he, he, originally he wanted twice as much as is pretty much as standard. So we were able to kind of fix that a little bit. But I am getting a lot of inquiries. Hey, can you come here? Can you go there? Can you do that? I'm going to reach out to a few established places, maybe like an Altus and I may see about doing a class down at the Altus area. I'll call Mike over there and, uh, and I'll talk to them. Um, because, because like I said, I, I am getting a lot of questions and a lot of demand for that. So Altus is a great place. I know it well and, and would be happy to do something there if they'll let me. You know, so uh, that'll be one of the calls I make this week to try to open up a date and time for Altus. But like I said, I got these uh, chassis put together. That nuke strike, man, I was amazed. Oh, speaking of chassis, it's $599. It's a solid, like, aluminum chassis underneath that, and it doesn't look that much different than a Jay Allen, you know? And and so it could be it could become a really inexpensive Jay Allen replacement, and I think it puts it in the price point of a KRG Bravo, Right, five ninety nine for a really well made, solid Kdex rifle chassis, not like a Kdex chassis folding metal that whole thing. This is more a traditional stock with an internal chassis, and it's a full internal chassis. And so I'm gonna be doing the videos and doing some stuff with that. But I was pretty damn impressed when it came in and I put it together, and just how solid it feels when you look into it and you look at the chassis inside the stock you could see just how well it is and how much of it is there it's not minimalist you know what i mean it's light it's aluminum it's not crazy but at 599 for a kdex strike nuke stock that's money man that's money in the bank for you guys i i would go there all day and um we're gonna end up probably doing a group buy deal where what i've talked to patrice over there at kdex i mean kdex i'll be honest they're you know I really like KDEX stuff. I dig it. And working with them for me has been super positive. It's been really good. I'm running so many of their chassis. Like all my Tikas are in them. 
Uh, I have that 18-inch uh, uh, 6.5 Creed's in one that came from Drake Associates. There's, uh, I have the Bagara. Um, my original Bagara, before they started doing the, the sort of lower cost, uh, what is it, uh, HMRs or whatever they call their rifle system, my original Bagara is in a Kdex, um, but that's in one of the uh, the dual 33s, the, the big chassis, you know, the big dollar one. So it, it's kind of crazy how all this stuff you know, kind of cycles back around. But I'm looking at doing a group buy thing with Kadex on the Strike Nuke to release it because they have a bunch of them pre-made and ready to go. And so they're looking at, like, putting some Sniper's Hide engraving on one. And they're going to give you about $150 in accessories along with it. And you'll be able to get the chassis or stock for $5.99, and they'll throw in stuff like a bag rider, mounts, all different things that they have, you know, really cool stuff. So, um, you know, retail-wise, it'll be the same, but you'll get all the accessories, kind of like as a sniper's hide, thank you. And so we'll be talking about that. Maybe I'll even talk to Patrice about giving one away or something on the podcast. Uh, that might be a neat little thing to do. Pick somebody and, and, and have them give it a try. And probably what I would want to do is find somebody who's willing to go public, make a, make an article or do something about it. You know, pictures, video post on Sniper's Hide to say, Hey, I got this and this is what I got in, in that. But I can see it being a pretty decent Jay Allen replacement for a lot less money. Now, does it have every accessory the Jay Allen had? No, but the Jay Allen was almost a $2,500 thing when you tricked it all out. You know, this is $599. You can max it out and you'd probably be lucky to spend a thousand bucks with every option you could stick on it but um still it's it to me it's a nice rifle system and like i said i put it together with this 260 barreled action um got it ready to uh rock and roll and so i'm going to take it out this week and shoot that uh getting some reps in with the mcmillan and then we're going to move over to the mdt in the jps and put those together but it's going to be a bit of a chassis roundup within the next about 30 to 40 days i'm going to be chassis heavy man chassis heavy because it's all about the chassis but stocks too man the mcmillan the strike nuke they're traditional looking you know they're just kind of um, a little bit different so all right guys well that's what i got going on ballistic wise think about it don't get too crazy with it have have a good hundred yard zero right we you can dial out to two to three if you show up in an area and you got 400 yards of opening dial your 400 on Right Then you could be point of aim, point of impact. If you only have 100 yards of opening, you put your 100 yards on. If you think it's going to be, there's a feeder, there's this, there's that, whatever trail, whatever your game cam says or, or placing that you're looking to do, you could put point of aim, point of impact and not try to wing it, not try to guess. Well, I think I'm going to hold a two inches over its back, you know, and then you do some kind of unethical shot and everything. Nah, man, just follow the, follow what's working. We know what's working, okay? We're, we're, we're recognizing what's working. So look at that stuff. Go look at the video. Go look at the weaponized math. It's working out really well. You can get some data with that. You can understand what your drop is. And that's the key. What I, that's why I like the longhand math part of it, what, what Mark had put together, because now you can visualize it. He's not only giving you like a number, the X factor number. He's telling you what's your percentage of where that drop is, you know, so you're able to then visualize your trajectory and recognize it better, okay? You know, there's so many different variants and calibers, everything from the six millimeters all the way up to the crazy wildcats 
and things like that. So it's it's tough. I mean, I had some guy like throw an email out at me and like just blindly go, I need like a load for a Lazaroni. And I'm like, yeah, right. I just delete. I'm like, I have no clue what your Lazaroni is going to do, dude. You know, I know guys dig it and you want to go uh, 4,000 feet per second with a 30 caliber or some crazy shit like that. Not me, man. That ain't my that ain't my world. So I'm I'm sticking to my lane. I'm sticking to my world. But there are a lot of crossover between the hunting, the different competitions and fields. There there are crossovers with that, and it it matters to me. To me, you know what I mean. We're talking accuracy. We're talking precision. Okay, your precision is that fundamentals of marksmanship. How tight of a group you're going to do. Your accuracy is how close to dead center do you hit that target. Right. Well, your equipment has a bearing on both, but then you have to be able to interpret your data and recognize that in order to get that accuracy on on the target. Cool. Speaking of that, I just put out a a 30 shot drill in the sniper side online training as well. Um, That's not a video right now, but it is a short little, um, you know, you got a 600 yarder in range. And I give you a 30-shot drill to determine, you know, is that something you can go work with? And it's pretty straightforward. But what I'm doing is I'm giving you recommended target sizes. You know what I mean? Where you should be within your precision and accuracy. How well you should be grouping and what you should be looking at and how to push yourself to the next level. So part of that, there's two components to it. It's here's the rounds, here's that, here's that. But here's also... Shoot a one inch dot at 100, put all your rounds in there. Shoot a two inch at two, a three inch at three. Shoot a six inch at four, right? Shoot an eight inch at five. Shoot a 10 inch at six. Keeping you just below a minute, but at the same time, putting you in a place that's doable and something you can look at. So if you're interested in that stuff, I recommend that online training from Sniper's Hide. I mean, it's 15 bucks a a month, right? Less than a box of ammo. So for one box of ammo a month, you get the online training lessons, you get access to all the videos. And it's right there on Sniper's Hide. It's pretty easy um, and, and something to uh, to watch. And, you know, it's not as cool as the podcast, but you do get to see me in the videos. And and, and so there, there are some videos in there, you know, 60, 70, maybe even a couple more than that. Who knows? But it, it's definitely something that I'm adding videos. I'll be out doing another one um, next week. So for September, I'm going to knock out another video. I'll probably do one of those drills Oh, because somebody was asking when I put the drill up, they're like, there's no video. I'm like, yeah, because it's just telling you what to do. And do you want to watch me shoot 30 rounds and group them? It's like, that's eh, kind of boring. I guess I could spice it up a little bit. I got this. Um, although I did find I got when I set up the new computer, I changed some things around. And uh, so I setting up Final Cut, setting up the computer, putting in my plugins back. You know, you got to reload all these extras you put on to top of like the standard programs. And so I grabbed this, I, a, a new plugin had come out and I overlaid it onto a GoPro and it makes my GoPro look like mega cinematic now. Like you look at the GoPro and it's like, damn, that's a GoPro. That thing looks like it's on freaking movies, man. It's coming out of Mad Max or something. It's like crazy good. So I'll probably be doing a lot more with the GoPros now that I got this new plugin that, that makes a GoPro look super cinematic and, and I can get away with a ton to make it look good. So, um, yeah, look forward to that. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Thanks for the comments. I'll read some comments again this week. So if you got questions, comments, questions, whatever the case, um, you know, drop them into the Podbean app. Go over to Sniper's Hide in the Everyday Sniper forum section. 
Check out what's going there. If you're not sure how to work with the ballistic stuff, your ballistic calculators, Sniper's Hide has a ballistic calculator forum with company support in the forum. You can ask questions directly to the companies or guarantee within five minutes of you putting a question up, somebody's going to answer it to you. I got a, I got a lot of s going on. I'm going to have to DS it. So um, anyway... Uh, definitely go on and check that resource out. It, it, it's a it's a good resource. I mean, the site's busier than ever. It, it, it's moving fast. Uh, you know, don't be surprised if you make a post in the morning before you go to work. If you get home at the end of the night, it's on page uh, two. You know, that's not an uncommon thing. People are like, I made a post this morning and it's gone. Why did it disappear? And it's like, dude, it's on page two now. It just didn't disappear. Just nobody really dug it and moved on past it. So, all righty. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for being part of this, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers.